Hi, this is Christopher Perrin, uh, and you're listening to The Christopher Perrin Show on the True North.fm podcast network. It's my pleasure today to have Greg Wilbur, the president of New College Franklin, with us today. Greg, thanks for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. would love to hear your narrative about how you came to classical education generally, and then how it is that you ended up being the founding president of this new college. Um, and then, of course, we'd love to talk about just why we need colleges like New College Franklin. Right. But tell us a little bit about how you came to the classical tradition yourself. Yes. Well, I, I was not classically educated, like most of us. Um, some private school, but mostly public education. And uh, when I was um, in um, the Tennessee, uh, Nashville, Tennessee area, underemployed, one of my periods of underemployment, uh, an opportunity arose to teach a couple classes at a uh, startup classical school. I uh, didn't know anything about the idea or the movement, um, but here was an opportunity to teach some music and to uh, teach some drama and to eventually wind up teaching other things as well. So in the process of learning, like many of us, in the process of teaching, continuing to learn along the way and reading and uh, talking to other people and going to conferences and, and getting a bigger and uh, broader vision of what classical education could be, should be, uh, was, um, and continued teaching for about 10 years. Uh, at that point, I, I left that position and started a homeschool co-op and, uh, and had a number of students that I taught um, for a period of about two years. And it was at the end of that time that I had a couple students who had graduated from high school who didn't want to leave yet. They wanted to continue to read and study. And, and um, so with no idea of, of the idea of, of, um, of credits or college program, uh, did an intensive reading, a very intensive reading with the two of them. And after a year of doing that, some others wanted to join in as well. And so I had other students joining in and uh, continued that as well. And at that point, it was like, okay, something needs to happen. We, I just can't continue this. Uh, this is really good. This is really helpful in terms of our conversation and what we're reading. Um, but this is not helping them kind of get f- you know, fully educated, the whole orb of, of college education or what it could be, what it should be, what it you know, has drifted away from. And so at that point began the, the idea of what does it look like to actually start a college? And one of my former students uh, came back into town to do that, the, the paperwork aspect of that. It was about two years of paperwork with the state of Tennessee to actually be a degree-granting institution. And that's a whole story in and of itself in uh, a number of ways. But part of that was just, you know, the Lord is leading in this. Uh, we will continue to be faithful as long as the doors continue to open. And every time they seem to close, something else would, would open. But, you know, when you start with a clean slate, you've got this this beautiful opportunity, one, to start traditions as well, but what are we going to teach? And how are we going to do this? And what, we're going to, what are we going to embrace? What are the best models? Um, what are the things that we see that were effective for hundreds of years at Oxford, at Cambridge? Um, what does the, uh, the great conversation tradition look like, but rooted in a faith tradition? Um, what would it look like to actually recover not just the trivium, but the quadrivium, the classical seven-level arts in the context of higher education? So that became the whole formation of how do we create this curriculum? Now, oddly enough, with the, with the state of Tennessee, we had to completely write the entire curriculum, all the syllabi for classes that didn't exist, um, and go through book lists, and like we actually had classes that existed. So we had the opportunity 
uh, to start fresh with thinking through how all these things would integrate together. So it was a, it was a very exciting time of conversations, of, of uh, talking to other people in other places, and uh, seeing how we could weave all these things together. And that was, we're, we're entering our 14th year this fall. Okay. So when did you start this? That would have been... It was, uh, 2007 was the beginning of paperwork kind of thing. 2009 was when we officially authorized by the state, and then we started our first official class that fall. What was it like beginning with the tabula rasa and starting, being able to just start with a blank slate and imagine what education could be? What did you discover in that process? Because you'd been a part of classical ed already. So what, what, what happened? Could you, could you elaborate <laughs> on that a little bit? Where did you go? Who did you talk to? Right. Uh, there was, you know, a number of influences. Um, um, the, the former student who was, was working with me at the time uh, had been to St. John's. And so that, that kind of tradition of the conversation, the small classroom was very formative in terms of the idea of, of the, the pacing and, and the, the, the pedagogy. Um, there was another influence, a friend who was in um, mathematical field. And he's the one that kept encouraging, looking more closely at the idea of the quadrivium. And, uh, and 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 you know, made a lot of sense to embrace that. And it, it, it's you know, in some ways, it, it was starting fresh, but at the same time, not wanting to be novel, but to actually try to regain what was the best of of what higher education used to be. Kind of right. And, and but taking that and and putting it in the time in which. You know, we live, and we we learned a lot those early years. Students were not as adept in some areas that we thought they might be coming in, so that made some adjustments in the curriculum, some other things along the lines that we that kind of sharpen um, what we were trying to do. And but all the you know that that whole idea of not just academic formation but spiritual formation that you can't separate the intellect from the spirit and uh, uh, the humility and the aspect of repentance and and learning of discipline. And, um, and discipleship that is inherent in the idea of, of, of education, all those things weaving together. And so, yeah, it was, it was what had I seen that had gone well in other places? Uh, what were some of the streams and the thoughts that uh, the influences and uh, the conversations? Like, uh, we've known each other for 20-plus years, you know, uh, from conferences and conversations here and there. And it's, you know, a lot of those different relationships and conversations that that, you know, a lot of us were took what we had but continued to study and to learn and to move into different channels of, of understanding of, of what education could be, should be, and trying to take the best of those things in a way that made sense with the higher education model. Thank you, Greg. Let's talk a bit about the curriculum, and mm-hmm. then I'd love for you to talk about the fruit you're seeing in the students yes. and what kind of students are at New City, a new college, Franklin. Um, you have a common curriculum mm-hmm. for everyone. Yes. So d- describe what that curriculum is. You know, <laughs> freshman, sophomore, what are they studying? Right. What, what would, I'm thinking of, you know, a parent saying, well, what's going to happen to my daughter if they right. would enroll? What, what is she going to study? How do you answer that question? Right. Well, I think in, that first hurdle, as you said, is the fact that we have one degree program. But that's also returned to that more medieval idea of, of the, uh, the liberal arts um, the the classics, that's the foundation which you then go into philosophy, theology, medicine, law, etc., that you move on into to that particular field. And jumping ahead a little bit, that's kind of the beauty of it, too. Our students with this one-degree program 
have done those things. They have moved into those various fields very successfully uh, with this, you know, one one degree. But we don't talk about um, subjects um, because we like not not to play word games. Generic name for anything. Yeah, right? you know, but words matter. Anyway, but we talk about the various disciplines because they are interrelated. Uh, my typical college experience, you're in a class of 30 people or 300 people. Um, you may never see them again. And what you read doesn't have anything to do with next semester. And what you're going to talk about at the cafeteria table. Right, right. Because you can't assume they've been reading the same things or taking the same courses. Right. So with all the students taking the same things, reading the same books, or having read the same books you know, a year or two before, the conversation continues outside the classroom, in apartments, in professors' homes. But a professor can also refer to what you read not only last semester, but also two years ago. And to continue that and weave those things together in a unified way, in which truth should be unified. So then it sounds to me like if a professor can do that, your professors know this (laughs) curriculum already, at least more or less. In other words, any professor could probably start talking about the Nicomachean ethics. Right. And and, and that's one of the difficulties is finding um, professors who are not just specialized in a particular area. Um, have that, but also are conversant with regards to philosophy, history, literature, theology, the arts, that they can weave those things together. So that when a student, you know, and this happened particularly a couple years ago, uh, students are in um, our astronomy class talking about various ideas of cosmology. At the same time, in their more philosophy class, they were reading Dante. And with another professor, they were in an elective reading Milton. And so there's all, these works are literally talking to one another in, in the hearts and minds of these students at the very same time. And so with regards to the curriculum, the, the disciplines, we have four years of what we call moral philosophy, which is you know, primarily um, theology, literature, philosophy, uh, starting with the idea of what are we doing, what are the liberal arts, how do you instruct students in that, uh, that way of, of, of communicating via conversation, um, and that the point of conversation is not to make your point, but to actually listen to one another and to engage in a flowing conversation. Um, but then it goes into the ancients and another full year of ancients, uh, Plato, Aristotle, the Greek tragedies, um, Homer, uh, the, you know, on through the rest of the freshman year, sophomore year, junior year is the medieval period, uh, senior year is the more modern period. Uh, so there's that line of disciplines. We do th- theology as well, uh, systematic and biblical theology, a year and a half of Greek, uh, a half a semester of spiritual disciplines, and then an, uh, a, a tweak that we've made in the curriculum the senior years is sacred theology, which is reading primary sources and actually wrestling with the ideas of that as well as translating more, uh, more Greek in that particular class. The trivium classes, composition, um, logic, rhetoric, creative writing, um, poetics, uh, a senior capstone project. The quadrivium classes of arithmetic, geometry, um, music, astronomy, in which they're actually working, you know, through Euclid and geometry. They're reading Plato and arithmetic. You know, that it, it's uh, Boethius and music. They're working through the quadrivium aspect of that, and then the practical application of that. So there's a music class. How do you, training students on how to hear? Um, an art class training students on how to see. Um, and then there are two years of basically electives or sometimes you know, passion areas of professors or uh, particular books or authors or a more in-depth dive, but the opportunity to concentrate on something and apply what they've been learning to a particular area. And, and I, know, I know you're a musician, and I know you've thought 
for a long time because we've talked about it, about the quadrivium arts. Yes. Uh, it seemed, you know, my observation has been in the, in the 40 years that we've been renewing classical education in the United States that there's a pretty, there was a strong early focus on recovering the trivium mm-hmm. and that was done pretty well. But the, the focus on recovering the quadrivium is maybe just a 10-year-old effort and you're one of the you're one of the people who've really been thinking about that and advocating for a, a deep retrieval of mm-hmm. the quadrivium arts. Could you tell us how it's gone so far <laughs> <laughs> at uh, New College and, and what you're learning about recovering the quadrivium? Right, I think the like I think you might be the only college I've heard of that requires a course in astronomy. Right. Right. Well, and and, and not just astronomy, but astronomy in the connection, the idea of the connection with the quadrivium. It, it, it it's um. This, as you said, in the past 10 years, there's a lot more interest in the idea of the quadrivium of people saying, okay, I've heard of it. I don't know what to do with it or how to think about it. And I think partly on the, the K-12 to level, especially the high school level, we're so imprisoned by college transcript applications that we have this whole Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry, Trig, Calculus sequence that we have to get through because that's the expectation for college entrance. You know, with the trivium, whether it's you, you can, you have to have English classes, but that could be literature, that could be rhetoric. That could, you know, you, the trivium is more flexible with regards to you know college requirements. But with with the quadrivium, it's a little bit more difficult because to to um, yes, math and geometry, arithmetic and geometry, that sounds n- normal, you know, in terms of what we expect, but not in the way that the quadrivium would present it. Music is still so much considered an extracurricular or fine art or something off to the side or unnecessary or only for those people who are musically inclined that I get more and more concerned that it's not gaining the traction to actually be what it should be in terms of an integrated aspect of of, of what we're trying to do, um, what we all should be trying to do with, with regards to the quadrivial arts and then the extension with, with astronomy as well. And some of the analogy that I make is with, with, the, um, with the trivium, you know, Augustine was a beautifully classically educated man who never read Dante yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Shakespeare yeah. or himself, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you, you know, he had all the, the, the necessary tools but didn't have an, the extra 1,500 years worth of material that, that we uh, have the necessity or feel the necessity uh, and, and, and for good reason that we want our students to know and to understand. And so because of that, there's still a lot of picking and choosing. You know, we're not reading all the things that Augustine read um, because we're reading all these other things as well, which are worthy of reading. That same work, that type of work with the quadrivium is only just now beginning. And so it's not just we, we want to take, you know, music back to the time of the ancient Greeks or to Boethius. Um, there's a lot that's happened since astronomy, especially uh, with regards to discovery and understanding cosmologically. Um, but what is the quadrivium? What's its purpose? Why did it exist? What was it getting at? Um, are there things that the quadrivium could only do uh, that our substitutes for those for those areas cannot do? Um, and if so, what and why? How do we include what's happened in the last thousand, fifteen hundred years, and to be able to breathe and bring those things together? And so it's a continual discovery. But as I said, you know, it's an integrated part of what we're doing. And to see the students grow in that, 
um, and to see their understanding and the things that they're able to pull together in a beautiful way because they have walked through those those courses um, is is phenomenal. I, I've seen it in my own daughter. She's she's 18, but she's been in, she's been absorbing these conversations at home for years. I'm so sorry, um, but the things that she understands that she puts together. Uh, are things that I can only imagine about, which is a beautiful thing. That's great to hear. And uh, I know you're also providing some leadership and just gathering Mm -hmm. people who love mathematics and the quadrivial arts to continue this retrieval. Um, Thank you for that, those those gatherings that you're leading. Yes, we need to talk together. We need to know what each other's doing. Yeah. Well, well, I have one more question for you, which is about the fruit you're seeing Mm -hmm. among students. Um, What's happening uh, that you're glad about uh, among, the, among the, the student population at New College? And if you could give some anecdotes, what are you seeing? You yes. mentioned your daughter as one yes. example, but yes. what other kinds of things are you seeing that are encouraging yes. you? I think part of that is the, is the qualitative, not necessarily quantitative, but you, you see the richness of how they think and how deeply they think and how that then transforms what it is that they're called to do. Because you know, some of that is dramatic, in terms of someone who um, their whole life is changed and the trajectory of their life is different than it would be. And, uh, and we have stories like that. Some of it is people who would have been perfectly fine and they were in a really great position, but now who they are, um, not just what they do, but who they are, uh, has so enriched what they do uh, that is making them more effective in their calling that God has, God has given them, in their family life, in the work that they've given. Um, and I think, you know, we're intentionally small um, because we want to be able to maintain that, 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 that spiritual discipleship aspect, um, which is why I love that there's so many other small colleges starting, um, that we need more and more of this. I mean, one of the surprising things is when we started, we thought it would be more regional in terms of students. We've had students from, um, I think, about 30 states at this point, um, several from Canada as well, as far away as Alaska. Um, to California, to Massachusetts, Maine. It's, it's surprising. I mean, people want something like this. They, they see the difference. They see um, the biggest thing, our biggest recruiting is not, not our brochures, not our website, not the pretty pictures, um, but it's coming to see and meet our students and sit in a class and see something that they've never seen before and to meet students who can engage them. And they, they suddenly feel at home that what, they, what they've longed for actually exists. And to be able to see the fruit of that, but also more and more um, solutions like that to happen is a beautiful thing. You're reminding me that, well, small can be good. And yes. you're also reminding me that uh, the early colleges of, of this country, you know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, when they started, were small. Right. Very small. Well, right. You know, less than 100 students and so forth. And so some of the great great minds of the past, when we think about them, were educated in colleges that were small and good. I like to think about restaurants. You know, when, if I want to go to a great <laughs> restaurant or right. even a great hotel, I, I like the smaller ones, right? right? We like the small, intimate. So you're preserving that. Could you comment about the rise of these kinds of colleges mm-hmm. generally? Um, you're one that started about 14 year, years ago, but there are others that are starting. Right. Could you comment on that? Uh, why sure. is that? Uh, what have you heard? What do you, what do you think the future might hold? Right. Well, you, know, you look at higher education right now, the growth in higher education is in administration. That's where the dollars are going, and that's where the new hires are going. And so it's not actually affecting education. And so what, um, because of that, people are, are, are looking at small alternatives. We don't have the fitness center 
we don't have the dining hall. We, you know, but we live in a town in which you, you can join the gym. You know, you know, you, you, and so others capture that vision that you don't necessarily have to have those things. We're allowing students to become adults because they're renting apartments and they're learning how to fix food for themselves and how to live in, in the community and be a part of the community and not be isolated from the community. And so other, you know, I see these other small colleges and I get phone calls and emails all the time. You know, what's your story? You know, how can you, and I love that because I don't see that as competition. I mean, I, that's, there's plenty. The fields are white to harvest. There's plenty of opportunity for, for other small colleges to, to see that vision, to not have to spend, charge exorbitant amounts and spend all this money on unnecessary things when the necessary thing is a tutor, students, and books. You know, that you can do that in, in all sorts of spaces and places without the frills. And that's the essential part. And, and so to be able to see others catch that vision, move into that, and see the successes of that is a beautiful thing. I love that. Thank you so much, Greg. Could you tell, tell us, for those who are interested and want to know more about New College, give us the website. What would you encourage a, a parent or a student who might be hearing this uh, podcast to do? Yes. Yeah, our website is you know, www.newcollegefranklin.edu. Um, a visit is always great. We have you know, prospective weekends uh, that are listed on the website, but you know, students and parents come every time. And I think part of the thing that I love just in terms of educating parents and students to think about wherever you go, and I just, I would just love being the journey, part of the journey of people even thinking about this, whether they come to New College or not, but um, not what do you want to do in four years, but who do you want to be? And as you wrestle with being away from home and who you are, and what God has called you to, and what do you believe that you're doing so in a community that's going to support and encourage you, and not um, and not distract you from what it is that God is calling you to be? Thank you so much for for this time, Greg. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is Christopher Barron with Christopher Barron Show on TrueNorth.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>